Dive into the start of summer at Whole Foods Market. Check out their summer splash event with sales on fresh organic produce, organic strawberries, and a fan favorite sale on Ben and Jerry's and Talenti. Explore deals on grill-friendly meats like organic air-chilled chicken breast, beef and chicken kebabs, all with no antibiotics ever from our meat department. Plus, grab easy sides from prepared foods and cool off with refreshing drinks. Kick off your summer and shop in store or online at Whole Foods Market today. This episode is brought to you by Progressive, where drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average. Plus, Auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. Quote now at Progressive.com to see if you could save. Progressive Casualty Insurance and Company and Affiliates. National average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. Whether you're making the same breakfast that you have every day or baking a cake for an extra special day, eggs are a staple in our diets. Eggland's best eggs are nutritionally superior to ordinary eggs, containing more vitamins and 25% less saturated fat. Not only are they better for you, but Eggland's best eggs taste better too. There's a reason that they're America's number one eggs. Visit egglandsbest.com for additional information and delicious recipes. everyone and welcome to Unspooled Bonus, Bonus Real. Uh, these harmonizing voices you hear, one of them, this one that's speaking now currently, is Amy Nicholson. Hi, I'm a film critic. I write for the New York Times. And boy, do I like the guy who's my barbershop duet. I'll take it. Quick- I am Paul Shear. <laughs> my voice has left me. Now, I wish I could say it was because I was at the Vanity Fair party last night and I lost it because I was partying too hard, but... Truthfully, I just lost it because I think because I'm on an allergy medication that made me lose my voice. So that being uh, said, you were at the Vanity Fair party and you did party hard. Amy, I couldn't even get a drink at that party. I wish I could have been party hard. I had one glass of champagne, but I did manage to put my foot in my mouth when I tried to talk to Jonathan Majors, star of Creed Three, who I thought was awesome. All I wanted to do was say, "Hey, you're great in Creed Three. and I botched it. Somehow, I botched it. I do this all the time. I should learn my lesson. I shouldn't just say hello to anybody. I should wait until they come into my sphere. But if I go into their sphere, I'm going to mess it up. I was like, hey, you're great in Creed 3. He looked at me. I don't know if he didn't hear me or not. And he's like, what? I was like, oh, you're you're great in Creed 3. He's like, what? wait, what? And I was like, oh, Creed 3. And then I'm like, now I'm confused. I'm like, I know that you're, jo- I know you're Jonathan. May- I like, there's no, I'm not confusing you. And then I'm like, then it felt like he took the compliment. Like I said to him, like, oh, I actually saw you in your high school play and you were great as cop number two. Like, oh, cool. Like it was, it was sort of like, oh, you saw that? <laughs> like, well, yes, I saw that. And then, then I was like, then I had to like kind of prove like, but not just that, you're also great in the, the last black man in San Francisco. You're fantastic in that as well. Like I, I felt like I just started sweating. It was a mess. And you know what? I, I shouldn't even have gone up to him because I should have learned my lesson, but I wanted to because I wanted to have a story because today we are talking about Creed Three. Look at that segue, as well as uh, kind of a follow-up to our Magic Mike episode. Talk a little bit about Magic Mike's last dance. And we'll even touch upon uh, the recent hit of Scream 6. Kind of 
continuing our discussion about these movies that we started on previous podcasts. I saw that Channing Tatum was at that party last night. I did not run into him. And I'm glad I didn't because I probably would have done it again. I would have put my foot in my mouth again. So Channing Tatum avoided me uh, effusively uh, talking about Magic Mike to him. So, uh, you know, only one real misfire last night. Wow. I only have one Oscar story and I wasn't even there, but I'm just going to tell you because here we are. The day before the Oscars, my boyfriend was at Swingers, our favorite diner, and Colin Farrell was there chowing down on mac and cheese like a man who didn't care how he looked in his tux was like, I, I'm hungry, and so be it. And I just wanted to say, God bless Colin Farrell. You were my pick to win. I'm sorry you didn't win. You should have won. We got and said that Brandon Fraser speech about all the whales. I got to say that speech was krilling me. <laughs> I got to say that speech was unbelievable. Oh, um, but I got to say, anybody who's like, I'm going to eat carbs the day before the Oscars, love you forever, Colin Farrell. You're going to get your shot if I have anything to say about it. I can't wait for you to do something great. Hell, I'll even vote for you for the penguin if I have to. Well, I will tell you, Amy, I did take a little bit of a, uh, a hit for you because you okay. and I were talking about uh, scores. We had a, our bets that were going on about the Oscars, which I both I won both. Um, and we were talking about scores. <laughs> nice, subtle way of saying you yes. won both. And now I have to wear... A Clippers jersey on the day the Lakers play the Clippers. And now Battle you get LA. to pick also because uh, Andrew Riseborough was at the Oscars in a leather jacket, no less. You also get to pick a future film that we do on Unspooled that you just oh, love my gosh, for no reason we... at all. I, I'm a double loser, but in some way I feel like I won because not only do I get to have this inside in your brain, whatever you're going to pick, when I wear your Clippers jersey, I'll feel a little closer to you. And then I'm going to cover it in terrible perfume and I'll get my revenge that way. All right, I'll take it. And so I uh, ran into Justin Hurwitz who composes all the music for Damien Chazelle, a former writer of the league. And I said, you were robbed. It was great. As my friend Amy Nicholson said, the score of All Quiet on the Western Front is this three notes. You were robbed. And uh, so I think uh, you know, he, he took it in stride. I don't think he was going to shit on All Quiet on the Western Front. But I, I made sure to get your dig in about the score of All Thank Quiet you. on the Western Front. I don't even know how many people have seen All Quiet on the Western Front. But now we've all heard the three notes ad nauseum. Bum, bum, bum. I mean, it's just like militaristic inception. I, I, I'm, I'm there. I mean, I hear it. And you know what? Sometimes... Three cools can be like that because like, oh, again, just sitting the same notes over and over again. But I'm going to tell you, Amy, that today's episode, as we talk about three cools, we'll see. Some really fly. Some really Good. have that Babylon. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but let's, uh, let's, without any further ado, unspool it. Amy, Creed 3, what did you think? Uh, well, in the keeping of what a Creed film loves, what a Rocky film loves, split decision. Split decision. Split decision, But wow. tilting towards winner, for sure. I thought that Creed was such a great movie for, once again, the first, like, two-thirds of a Creed. I feel like this is my pattern with Creed. Jonathan Majors, oh, my goodness. He is a wonderful addition to this franchise. From the second you see him, like, hiding under his, like, sleeveless hoodie, leaning against cars, glowering stuttering, stuttering in his interviews, being so natural, being so powerful, being so charismatic. He is ferocious. I feel like if this movie was a fight between him and Michael B. Jordan as actors, I like Michael B. Jordan a lot. I respect Michael B. Jordan a lot. 
Absolute knockout. Jonathan Majors destroys him in this film. Okay, I want to break down a lot of what you just said here. But first, the big question on my mind is, how can you not like the final third of this movie? Because that's the final third of every Rocky movie ever. The final third is the one thing that we know for sure will happen. And I think what was so great about this movie was they changed the first two thirds. And to me, this was the Creed sequel that we were promised. This is the evolution of the Rocky franchise. No Stallone, Michael B. Jordan takes over as director. It's the most assured first time actor turned director turn I think I've seen. I think he did things that visually broke the mold of this franchise. Whether or not that was the way that he shot his boxing matches, which has gotten a lot of attention with the the anime style. But more importantly, he broke the mold of the repetitive nature of these films. Even using that Rocky theme for the training montage, right? He didn't use that there. Like, he brought back the Rocky Bill Conti theme intermixed in the score for the final fight, which I thought was really cool. But it really felt to me like a breath of fresh air, like, oh my God, Stallone isn't involved and this can become a story about Creed and this is what bummed me out about number two, which is like, we're starting off in Russia with Drago. I don't care about Drago. I care about Creed and I care about his wife and his kid and his story and all great Rocky movies to me are about what is he fighting and it's not who is he fighting. And in this one, he is fighting his past, he's fighting his regrets, he's fighting his guilt, and I just absolutely loved it. I like this film a lot, but you know how I like to judge a movie. You can only judge a movie against the scale of its own ambitions, and I can't help but watch Creed and underneath it see the shadow boxing of the Creed three that I feel like is supposed to be here. You know, the shadow boxing where like you build up to that final fight, and I am chewing on my fingers because I can't decide whether or not I want Jonathan Majors to win or Michael B. Jordan to win. The thing is, Jonathan Majors, because I'm in this movie, Diamond Dame, he's a great fighter. He's tough. He has that kind of, uh, he has that underdog vibe that a movie, uh, that the Rocky franchise thrives on. He got robbed of his big chance. He got robbed of his big chance by the three strikes law. He didn't even really hurt anybody. He just got locked in prison because he owned a gun and he was trying to help his friend. Didn't fire well, a shot, didn't question, hit a guy, though. didn't touch a guy. But what about, First of all, is he owed that? Would he have been Creed? It's what he thought he might be. And I think there's something interesting there because I, I think this movie does lead you to believe or at least has to make you feel like Creed took away Dame's career. But that's Dame's perspective. Like, there's nothing guaranteed here. Like, yes, Dame was really good in the Golden Gloves. Would he have gone to the next level? Who knows? Like, really, who knows? Well, okay, A and B. I don't think necessarily that Creed himself took Dame's spot. I do think on a larger scale that has nothing to do with the arrest in the jail. We talked about it in Creed 1. Having the Creed name elevates immediately to a grand scale fight that somebody like Dame wouldn't have gotten immediately. He doesn't have any connections. He doesn't have like this like legendarily from the mounts of Olympus like name that like gets him boosted up. He doesn't have the nepotism factor. That's not on Creed being, you know, Machiavellian 
But it's right. just, it shows you like the scale that somebody like Dame has ahead of them, how hard he has to try. I do think when he starts fighting, when you start seeing him in the ring, if he still has those skills being older than Creed, he could have made it. He was always that good. Like he is so fierce, in such great shape, such a great fighter that I believe, according to his physicality, that he could have gone all the way. Maybe they would have both ascended to the top. Maybe they would have had to fight in a different strata. But I do think he looks at Creed and thinks, I should have had that life, but not Creed has my life. I understand what you're saying. I think that at the root of Rocky and Creed, there is a problem, which is how do you make a champion an underdog again? And this, again and again. Again and again. And I think that this movie follows a little bit in the footsteps of Rocky Three. But I think they do it in a really interesting way because what we're seeing is Creed is wrestling with his own guilt, his past. He hasn't really turned and dealt with anything. And I think that that's kind of beautifully shown with his relationship with Tessa Thompson. Like there are things that are left unsaid. And it's kind of this perfect story of someone who gets fame and success and money and uses that to kind of wipe out the past. But the past can't get wiped out by any of that stuff. It, you, you live with that stuff. And this movie, I think, really does an amazing job of saying, well, yes, you have all of these things, but it doesn't make you happy. On some level, there is something gnawing at Creed. Like, yes, he is happy. He's not depressed. He's not angry. He doesn't need to get back in the ring where I feel like Rocky, it's always like, it's maybe more ego driven. It's like, I can do it. Like, I love this battle because you do feel for both of these characters. I think one of the most powerful things I've ever seen in a, in a Rocky movie, and I hate calling it a Rocky movie because it's a Creed movie. And I think this may be what makes a difference about it is that Creed actually has friendships. Like Creed goes and sees, you know, Jonathan Majors after the fight. They talk. That's part of the plot. You know, we have characters coming back from other Creed movies. Like, Creed exists in this universe where the villains are actually a little bit more three-dimensional. And I think that actually really helps the franchise. It actually grows the franchise. It makes the franchise feel like it actually takes place in a boxing world and there are more issues. Because this is a movie that is much more of a drama about a boxing champion trying to figure out the next phase of his life. I don't think he's going to get back in the ring. To me, that's sort of the problem is I don't think this movie does come up with a good reason for him to get back in the ring because figuring out the next phase of your life doesn't mean getting back in the ring. You know, he gets back into the ring kind of in a way that feels like he's almost in an old monster movie from the 50s where it's like, I'm the scientist who created this creature and the only thing that can destroy him is me. But I have to say, it felt a little unfair to me because Majors is so good. I'm kind of on team Dame. He gets that belt. That belt means everything to him. We see him in his like tiny, dumpy little apartment. We see him having nothing. We see him never earning that respect that he felt like he could have had. He finally gets it. And his buddy who already has everything is like, well, I'm going to take it away. Like, why does he got to do that? Why does it, well, what does it wait, matter wait, wait. to him but what kind of if Jonathan Majors history? has that belt or not? Why does he have to destroy him immediately? Why does okay. he have to take away his like his sense of money, his his fame, Amy, his sense Amy. of respect? Why does he have to beat him down? I don't okay, get it. So I really do so, not get it. So you're okay with Dame 
basically getting Drago out of a heavyweight fight. Drago, this character that we've already seen in Creed II, whose country has turned against him, finally gets a chance to go at the belt with a with Chavez. And then Dame takes him out. Dame takes that guy out. Well, Drago's just, you know, shrapnel in this battle, right? And it's sort of like, and not only that, Dame fights dirty when he gets in the ring with Chavez. He beats him to a way. Like, and these are people that are on the periphery. Dame, I agree with you, is a complicated character. I think that this character is made way better because I literally wanted to stop this film multiple times and rewind it to watch Jonathan Majors act. I felt like I was like, what am I seeing? Like, it really is a beautiful performance. I think that's what makes it so complicated. But Dame is not a great dude either. Well, I don't think the film has quite a good handle on why he's not a good dude. I feel like when it tries really hard to make him a good dude, so that it's almost just to try harder to make Creed a good guy. You know, because I find I, really, I have a really hard time empathizing with Creed himself for a lot of this movie. I have a hard time thinking he he should win. Yes, like totally kneecapping Drago. Not that cool. But when it comes to the not idea that, that cool, not that cool. But the, when it comes to the idea that Dame is a cheater, I feel like the movie itself handles that very clumsily because he has two big fights, right? The right. first fight, he is a cheater. He's going against Felix. And it's a little unclear if he's doing it on purpose to be like a cheater or if he's just messy. But the film handles it in a way that's kind of goofy. They're like, oh. Boxing has always been such a proper sport. So upright and noble. Cover your eyes, children. We cannot look at this man fighting. He has disgraced our boxing. But, 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 but when he fights Creed the second time, he doesn't cheat. So is he a cheater or is he not a cheater? He doesn't cheat. When it really is on the line, he fights fair. That last fight is between two equals. Really going at it. And he's a totally different fighter. So well, what are you telling Drago, me when you try but, to say that he's a, a cheater or not? Like, I feel like they're really inconsistent well, with that. They just want you to hate him. And then they take it away so that he can have a fair fight. Like, what? Well, Drago's a cheater, too, right? Because Drago does an illegal hit, so the belt doesn't really count. That's why he has to go back and fight him in Creed too. I understand there's certain things that we have to do to keep the belt in play because the belt is the thing. But I think what Michael B. Jordan does here, and I think so assuredly, is says it's not about the fight. It's about these two guys. And the only way that this is going to be settled between them is you took this away from me. I want it. And I have to either beat you to get it or it will never be as sweet. Like, look, and this is where the movie I think has its bigger fault, which is like, well, what's the lesson? Because the lesson that we're talking about in this movie is, well, here's Creed trying to deal with his daughter who in the middle of school, punches another kid in the face. And Creed, uh, you know, Donna's Creed is like, yeah, well, sometimes you got to settle things with punches. And his wife, uh, Tessa Thompson, and I love their relationship. I think that actually is a beautiful part of this movie that opens up uh, so much more about Creed and makes him an incredibly more dimensional character than we've seen in previous films. Like, you get to see, like, this battle. Like, I don't know how to solve things without my fists. And then the movie kind of ends on... Creed I'm being assault right this with my fists. Yeah. yeah. And then, yeah. and then takes his daughter into the ring. And I know that that's probably foreshadowing a, a Creed sequel in 10 years where the daughter's boxing, but it seems like there's gotta be a middle ground. I do believe that they try to, they try to put it together at the end by having those moments of them together. They are brothers. They had to get into this fight. They had to find this thing, but there's like an emotional part of it. That's a little, 
muddy, a little muddled, right? I think that like- Well, yeah. So, yeah. And you know, the, like to talk even about that relationship, the emotional part that I found myself affected by that I don't think the movie completes the arc on is that Tessa is in this relationship with her husband who doesn't tell her a lot, doesn't always let her into how he's feeling, doesn't seem to talk to her too much about how she's feeling. She kind of gives him like a, I'm tough, I'm happy, I'm good, I'm working all the time, everything's fine. But it is Dame, it is Jonathan Majors who sees a sadness in Tessa that her husband doesn't identify. That he's like watching her watch people perform her songs and being like, I get it. You want that to be you up there. And she doesn't quite want to admit it, but you know that it's true. He has like kind of an empathetic insight into her that I find really redeeming. And so that the middle stretch of this movie where you see where you see that empathy, you see his emotional intelligence about people in this tough guy who does fight really dirty. You see that kind of stack next to Creed kind of playing it two sides of the fence. You know, he's like, Felix is my guy. Felix represents my gym. I'm on Felix's side in this fight, even though I set my friend up to, to be here. And that dual shot where you just see Creed clearly choosing Felix, rooting for Felix, right. cheering for him, being in his room ahead of time. And yet, supposedly Dame being his friend, leaving Dame completely alone, isolated, nobody in his corner, nobody in his back, having that like dark entrance that really immediately gets overshadowed by Felix and all of his smoke and his dancing. Like, to me, that is where Creed almost becomes more interesting because he's doing things I can't agree with. And I love that about him. But then they're like, oh, Creed's a good guy. And we're totally on the side of him beating him down. And then it's like, why? Michael B. Jordan is like, no, 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 you got to love this guy. And I'm like, do I? I don't know if I do all the time. I, I resent that the movie doesn't let me disagree with him at the end. Dive into the start of summer at Whole Foods Market. Check out their summer splash event with sales on fresh organic produce, organic strawberries, and a fan favorite sale on Ben and & Jerry's and Talenti. Explore deals on grill-friendly meats like organic air-chilled chicken breast, beef and chicken kebabs, all with no antibiotics ever from our meat department. Plus, grab easy sides from prepared foods and cool off with refreshing drinks. Kick off your summer and shop in store or online at Whole Foods Market today. Home isn't just a place. It's a state of mind. Like curling up in a comfy chair while it's cold outside. With a warm drink or maybe even a wine in hand. As you watch the world go by outside your window. Mmm, short rib. Good afternoon, this is your captain speaking. Which is why at Delta, our people do our best to make you feel at home. Refill? Long before you get there. Delta, keep climbing. Whether you're making the same breakfast that you have every day, or baking a cake for an extra special day, eggs are a staple in our diets. Eggland's best eggs are nutritionally superior to ordinary eggs, containing more vitamins and 25% less saturated fat. Not only are they better for you, but Eggland's best eggs taste better too. There's a reason that they're America's number one eggs. Visit egglandsbest.com for additional information and delicious recipes. Look around. You can find cars like these on AutoTrader, like that car riding your tail. Or if you're tailgating right now, all those cars doubling as kitchens and living rooms are on Auto Trader too. Are you working out and listening to this ad at the same time? Well, multitasking pro, cars like the ones in the gym parking lot are for sale on Auto Trader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. 
Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on Auto Trader. Just you wait. Auto Trader. Let me ask you this. Don't we all have a part of us that can get jealous when we see somebody doing something that we want, right? And to feel or, and to fuel that or to feed that, I don't always think is the best thing for our heart, for our life. Like we're looking at somebody else's paper and I feel like- Are you talking about Dame wanting to be Creed or Creed wanting to be Dame? No, I'm talking about Dame looking over at Tessa Thompson and going, I know you want this. I know you want this. And there is a level that she does, but she also made a pretty amazing, she made a decision for herself. I'd rather live this life where I can be where I am. Yes, I do want this, but I made this decision. And he's making her question that. And I think that sometimes. Is he making her question it or is he just making her acknowledge it? Well, but why do you have to make somebody acknowledge it? Like she did acknowledge it. Like, yes, there's something there, but it's like, she's got to move on though too. There's nothing that she can do about it. And I feel like that's the, that's the issue that Dame is dealing with is Dame is like, I want to be back 18 years ago. I want to be back at Golden Gloves. I want to be that. And it's like, well, no, I'm not saying that it's fair, but I'm just saying, but it's like, you can want this thing. You can want it to be different, but sometimes you just have to move forward too. Well, true. But the difference is, is like Tessa has a lot in her life. She's comfortable. She's, you know, very, very wealthy. Mm. Like she's okay. And she has a medical reason why she can't. It'll ruin her ears to keep going. Dame has nothing. And we know that he is actually in physically as good a condition as he was. He can do it. He's capable of doing it. And it's not going to like. But he's not capable of learning. And he's not capable of actually letting go of his ego and being like, I want to get a shot at the champ. I don't want to do this dumb sparring. I don't want to do anything. I don't even well, want to be right. a part of the system. Well, he's right. He doesn't have time. He does but, not have time. He's not lying about that. But I think at a certain point, if you just ingratiated yourself, if you opened yourself up, I think that what we see and what we start to reveal about Dame, and I'm not saying that like Creed is completely innocent. And I think the movie does walk a weird line. It's like, did Creed ignore Dame or did Creed's mom intercept the letters? That's convoluted. Like she intercepted letters and he didn't reach out. Uh, It's both. It's both. And I I think that's what the movie kind of- And he's a kid. Kids are bad at writing letters. I so agree, and I, I think I'm bad at writing some... emails to my best friends, and I'm an adult. You know, when and they I, move, yeah. I'm like, ah. And that's what I thought was actually really powerful. And 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 I, again, we we're having a pretty openly spoiler conversation, but like, Dame does let him off at the end and says, "No, man, that's that's kid shit." Like, we you can't. I think they were releasing each other of these things that they put on each other. I'm responsible for Dame doing that. He's not responsible for Dame's first two strikes. I'm not anywhere an advocate for the three strikes law. I'm not, I'm just saying, but like Creed isn't fully responsible, although he feels responsible. I think it talks a little bit about- I mean, he did pick that fight. He, he started to a man who fight. beat him, but to yeah, a man who beat him, it's I not know. like it's not the fight that he had in the electric uh, club in Philadelphia when this guy called him Baby Creed and he slugged him. This is like a guy who beat him. It's like- I, there, it's complicated. It's not black and white. It's complicated. I think that, but I feel like yeah. the movie makes it black and white at the very end. And that was really where I struggled with it. Because it's like, I'm into it, I'm into it, I'm into it. I'm even into it up until the moment where we get that scene where like Creed goes to confront Dame on the beach. And suddenly this guy that we've seen the whole movie being super lonely 
has all these like Insta best friends who are like, yeah, you're my guy. And that I don't get because we've had moments of him alone. And when he's alone, he's really alone. Like he has been very alone in our scenes. So where all these guys come from, I don't get. And I kind of wish I had a little bit more of that, a little bit more of what is this life? Who are these friends? I don't need deep moments, but like one or two more scenes. He's fought so hard to get this life. He's I want to see, I want another scene of him enjoying it. He doesn't really get to enjoy it. Well, we see him on that cooler. We get to see him in that, in that uh, beautiful apartment that he has, like right after the first fight. I think you're right that the movie does, and I think Creed does this too, pushes together certain things. I think that this movie, and the best thing about Creed, in my opinion, I talked about that in the first movie, is about father and sons. I think in this movie, it is about your past. It's about dealing with your past and dealing with guilt. And I think that sometimes they rush parts of the plot. And I think that it feels like it emotionally missteps certain things. But I think overall, where the movie elevates is Michael B. Jordan going, this is a fight, but it's so much more than that. And I know the anime has really taken over the conversation of this fight scene. And sure, that's cool. But what he was doing with that anime, I think, it was operatic. It was showing you what this fight meant. Like the visuals there, the jail, the bed. Like it was making this fight have more weight instead of just what every Rocky fight has done, which is just like stay up the longest, just finish the fight. And he does beat him and he beats his guilt. He actually you know, he's able to overcome it. That's the only way that he can overcome it. And I actually do think that these two characters can go on and have a life together. And they may not have been able to do that there. Like, I think that that's the only way that Dame would have ever respected him. Cause I don't think that Dame ever really believed that Creed is actually a good fighter. And I think that Creed also has been living in a world where he doesn't feel like he's worthy of it. He's never felt like he's worthy of it. And Dame is like, you aren't worthy of it. I know you're not worthy. You used to carry my bag. You're my, you know, carry get my shine box, like that kind of a moment. I just think that like, I really like that this movie tried to do something really different in the Rocky franchise. And I think that you're right. It may not be perfect, but it definitely feels more tonally in the Coogler verse that this started off and obviously written by Keenan Coogler and a story uh, by Ryan Coogler. Like it feels to me and Zach Balin too. Uh, I, I don't want to take that away from Zach Balin. Uh, like, this is what he wants to tell. This is the story. Like you but can that's feel. The, it's, it's the him, 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 him of it. And it's like, don't get me wrong. I think I like this film as much, probably more than the first right. Creed, but it really pulls a punch in being fair to Dame at the end. It just does, you know, cause you're everything you're explaining is really, I think emotionally intelligent and perceptive, but it's all only from what benefits Creed, you know? But and, Dame's and career, like, Dame's tough, career like, is not but, over. Know, but it kind of is because he's so old. He had the belt. He lost the belt. Who's going to fight him now that he's not the champion? I don't know. I think this is a really interesting meditation on what it is like to be a rich and successful idol when you've come from a place in your life. From, I mean, look, he grew up in a group home. He had like, so what so is it like? Dame, what is that? Man. I know, I know, like, I know, I know, but I'm saying, but, that, but that's what but I'm saying. But that's what it kind of, I think, deals with. And I'm I think just saying, that they, like, when his name is in fireworks at the beginning, this movie cannot convince me that he's the underdog. Even the announcers at the beginning of the fight are like, "It's a little weird that he's the underdog." I, I guess he is. And you're like, no, "Is he though? Is he though?" Well, he's the underdog because he retired. I don't right? feel like the movie's fair. I don't feel like it's fair in that point. Well, this is like what they did in Rocky uh, Five, where like the final fight was like 
on a street, right? Now, you know, I don't want to see that on the street. I don't want to see these guys fighting on the street. I think that like what Dame wants from minute one, and we realize Dame has been playing Creed the entire time. Dame wants to take the title from Creed. Creed and gave it away. Creed already gave it away. I know, but it's, he doesn't believe that Adonis Creed is a better boxer than him. And I feel like that final fight is him going, oh shit, you actually did learn some stuff. I would believe that Creed had fought his interior battles if he was like, you know what? This guy doesn't believe that I'm a good fighter, but it's okay. I don't need this one man's respect as well. I'm fine. Here's all I'll say. For a third film to feel like the sequel that we didn't have, I was psyched. And and I think it was a great, a great continuation of this franchise. I don't know if I want to see another creed specific movie next i would like the universe to expand and go beyond creed and i think that would be great because i don't want to see him find another reason to get back in the ring because i think it like lessens it lessens it and lessens it it's yeah realistic. how are you gonna get him back in the ring again well like, talking uh, about this talking about this idea of how are you going to get this person to do this thing again when they've passed their prime let's talk about another threequel which is magic mike's last dance now you know you and i got into it we love magic mike one and two, especially two. Amy, I was so excited to see Magic Mike's last dance. I was giddy. I couldn't wait. And I cannot tell you how utterly, utterly disappointed I was. Oh, thank movie. God. Oh my God. What the fuck happened Ugh. in this movie? How does Steven Soderbergh direct the two worst Magic Mikes? It feels like Steven Soderbergh doesn't even understand what the Magic Mike universe uh, yes. is. Yes. Yes. It does. I mean, you can't really even call this like a trilogy, I feel like, at a certain point, because each of the films is basically taking place in a different genre. Like, you've got the first one is like a realistic social problem drama yeah. about how dancing kills your soul and you should quit at the end. And the second one is a comedy about hanging out with your bros. And the third one is just like fantasy about face from the beginning that dance can save the world. And like, I dance guess, is but it doesn't sex. really prove that. What? The minute they leave Miami, I'm out. I was like, I love the opening. I thought the opening was great. I was like, oh, but yeah. I felt like I love Soderbergh. I like that he's tending bar. I like that I he's like working he's this hard. Li- you know, again, it's this custom furniture business, maybe because the furniture was bad to begin with, never going to go anywhere. I love his first dance with Selma Hayek. Oh, That's great. That was, oh, oh, my amazing. God. And can I tell you, the rest of the dancing, did not care for it. I thought it was shitty. I was almost like, can we get this movie over with? Like, because it became something different. Like, Magic Mike ultimately, and I don't know if this is a pejorative term, so I apologize if it is, is a stripper, right? He's a stripper. And what was fun about those movies is like, he was an awesome stripper, but Mm -hmm. he was still stripping. And then to do this thing where you're making a play that's like kind of a strip show, but it's kind of not. Yeah, everybody just wears jeans the whole time. Everybody wears jeans. This franchise used to have people dressed like firemen. And then sure, that's corny. And sure, even in the beginning, Magic Mike in the very first movie is like, I wouldn't have people dressed like firemen. So, all right, cool. You want people to be in jeans the whole time. But then nobody's stripping. They're just showing abs. The the like, but the bus the bus dance was cool. But it felt like to me like a step-up movie more than a Magic mm-hmm. Mike movie. And I'll tell you yeah. one thing. I, this is what I want. I love Steven Soderbergh. I won't put this past him to say, huh, can we just like make a movie where we take away everything from the first two movies and just see if it can exist on Channing Tatum's like charmingness because they really did strip him of, he's charming, but they stripped him of everything. At least I wanted. 
I mean, the stripping, the friends. We get to see the Zoom call. I would have watched two hours of a Zoom call. Uh, I we know. Get to... what? Why weren't they there? This and is such a bummer. And we don't wrap up loose ends when, of course, we know that the last, you know, I mean, and that's probably a casting thing, but we know that these guys have gone off to the to the UK, but it's like this complicated story about Salma, Salma Hayek, Don't who I think is fine. Sense. Her wife, her yeah. husbands, her daughters. I mean, it's really just like, yeah, it has kind of that framework of a step up movie where it's just like, let's put on a show. Let's and then a whole show. lot of absolutely nothing happens. And at the end, there's a couple great dances. And then you forget that you spent most of the film being bored. The and water by the way, ballet. I would argue. The water ballet was great. I the water bath was fine. It was but like by the time I got there, I was like, I don't care anymore. Like I really don't care because it's like no. not about ballet. It's like I felt like it also was like too sexy, like in the sense of not sexy, like oh, I find this sexy, but like too sex based. Right? There was something about the dancing in the first two that was provocative. This is like I'm fucking you. I'm just yeah. fucking you, but I'm uh, but I'm stripping. It's like yeah, it felt oh, I'm fucking in- you, but my jeans are on, and there's no humor about it. And like what I mean, really, what all the dancing was in this is just like an advertisement for the Magic Mike Vegas show because it's right. almost identical to it. Oh, same wow. numbers. They do a water ballet in that one too. It's a little different, but it's the same idea. It's basically exactly the same. It's just like here, if you haven't been to Vegas yet, this is what it looks like. Come to Vegas, and this is what we're going to show you. But there are these questions about sex that the movie kind of even floats and doesn't answer them. Like the first time he sleeps with Selma Hayek, it kind of feels like he's teetering to being a kept man. Like yeah. he's almost going from being a, a, you know, a stripper into going into sex work. Maybe he comes very close and the line of how close he is in those early scenes is very blurry. And I don't quite get it. You don't you don't want me to believe that he's really instantly in love with her. The fact that it does want me to believe that is like insulting. And then well, it's like, so interesting because we see like. Big Dick Richie is a kept man, or that's what we learn about yeah. him. And like, and the, and like okay, that's interesting. Yeah, good, good for him. Good for him. But like, you know, there's these questions in here that I wanted to know. I mean, in this movie, he learns that he is now a choreographer and a director. Does he like it? Yeah, that said, it's kind of what he said he wanted to do in the first one a little bit. Does he enjoy it? I don't. It's not really there. No, because he's he becoming even... like the he becomes Matthew McConaughey in this movie. He's in charge of teaching these guys what to do, but he doesn't really seem to be like wrestling with his power of being Matthew McConaughey. Is he going to do it better or different from him? It just seems like he doesn't even notice that that pattern is repeating itself again. I just, I just felt like it's a bummer to lose everything that we had. And I'm not saying that we need Magic Mike to have a successful furniture store. Or he has to come back for one last dance, which is, but it's like, they give him this thing that he doesn't seem like he really wants to do. It's a weird, like, Ocean's Eleven, like, we'll find the best dancers in the world. Yeah. Okay. And then there's a heist movie in the middle of it. That's we'll find the best like, dancers, yeah. dancers in the world. And then they're going to have to come like, up with this elaborate this... heist to get an approval to do our dances from this lady on a bus. What? There was no joy. There was no companionship. And I feel like that's the one thing that those movies had, which yeah. was a group of people if it's a group of guys and like he always has his love interest and they basically took away the guys they gave him his love interest and i thought that the she love did interest a great are job. always the weakest part no the weakest no part. hate to salma hayek but her character is the looniest of all of them uh, the, and it the doesn't weirdest. fit it or doesn't, make yes. sense it and just, like what i don't get is like channing tatum's character is a guy with one skill one fucking skill He's a Two. great fucking dancer. What's no, the second furniture, it's not his furniture. Furniture. His furniture's bad. He's a great fucking dancer. He spends the whole movie being like, I'm not going to dance. I'm over it. 
honestly, why? He's so good at it. If you're that good at it, why? I don't understand why he doesn't even want to dance. Every time he dances, everybody loses their mind. I don't feel like the movie even understands why he doesn't want to dance, except it just wants to be suspenseful. I don't know. I, I, it's just, so dumb. If I mean, I'm not good away, at dancing, you couldn't make me stop dancing. Well, to me, the other part of this, and I think the way that I read it as being billed is like, Mike takes a bunch of ragtag performers and makes them into dancers. But that's not even what, like, give me the full Monty. Like, put him in charge of, like, a, a group of funny guys that have to do this for the first time. Like, there's not even a comedic conceit to it. Like, that's what the show has no fun to it. Like, yeah. and this is like, we've just literally watched two movies of those numbers being fun. And you can't give me that Miami sequence and then go, oh, now we're going to take, like, like, I, w- I was all in on that Miami sequence. That whole Miami sequence I thought was yeah. great. But and then you know you what just, it is? Yeah. All, his, all the dancers he hires are so interchangeable. Yeah, like, there's no Even in the first Magic Mike, they each had different skills. You know, there was the yeah. guy who looked like the Kendall. There was the young one. There was Channing, who was the best dancer. There was Tarzan, who was wild. Big Dick Ritchie, because he was, like, the most handsome. And just, you know. But they had jobs. And here, it's just, like, a bunch of guys in the same pair of jeans. I'm just bummed. I just felt like... Uh, what did you do? And I've read a few things that said that they really thought that this movie was going to go uh, straight to HBO Max. And they got kind of pissed off when they found out that it wasn't, it was going to be released in theaters. They, And there's a part of me that feels like they kind of shit out a third mm-hmm. one to be like, this will be okay on streaming. And then it doesn't really yeah. hold its water as a film. It just doesn't. I feel like it was a little half-assed. And while everyone looks great, it just you lost everything that was really, really, really fun. And, and I, and I guess, you know, it's hard to keep a franchise going when you are, when it seems limited, like, is there more of the story or is it compelling enough? Can it go in a different direction? And I guess that now leads us to our third (laughs) threequel. And I wouldn't even say it's a threequel because now we're up to Scream 6, right? So it's, I guess it's a double of three. So it can be in this conversation here. Scream 6 seems to me like um, we are doing something different. I loved uh, Scream 5. Like where Scream 5 is like, okay, we are going into this world. We're kind of changing the game, new faces, new characters, some old ones. We kind of get rid of people. And then I all I really know about Scream 6, and I haven't seen it yet, but I know you have, and it's made a ton of money. A ton of it, money. Wait, it's well like, done, Scream 6. They basically got rid of, now everybody's gone, I think, for except for Courtney Cox, right? It's like everybody is out of the picture now. Um, and Nev Campbell really being the centerpiece of, of a lot of these. And it seems like, it works. It has been working. Like, what do you think? I, without any spoilers, maybe, because uh, people may not have seen it yet. Well, first of all, does it work? I will not spoil anything. This is my solemn promise to you and everybody else, because I know talking about like a horror film and who lives and who dies is much different than being like, does Magic Mike take off his pants? Which, no. Right. Um, the highs of Scream 6 are very high. The lows of Scream 6 are pretty low. There are slightly more lows than highs. What I will say is that the opening is great. The opening is wonderful. The opening is Samara Weaving playing kind of like a, a, a blonde film professor. She's marvelous. Everything in that scene is just phenomenal. Um, but, you know, in every scream, they have to have that setup where the person who's really smart knows everything about how movies work, you know, tells you what is happening and what this movie itself will, you know, will be about. 
you know, Scream 5, the one right before this was like, this is a requel where you have a mix of like old characters and new characters. And here, the big speech is that this is a franchise and nobody is safe. And in a franchise, anybody can live or die. And they really give the speech so massively. They are like, okay, anybody can live or die. And let me say that this movie does not deliver on that in any sort of satisfying way in ways that I would love to get more specific about, but I cannot. Okay, well, I will say one thing that I was very excited about, which is they brought back Hayden Panettiere's character from a previous Scream. I've lost count of which one she was in. And she apparently- Four, like, I think. Yeah, yeah she kind of lobbied to come back. And she's an interesting character because we were talking about this in our Scream episode. That kind of foresaw the future. Like that was an interesting, like they were starting to talk about this idea of like the copycat, the 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 person that was- I don't know. There was I, I thought that scream kind of was almost there, and I feel like Scream Five dug that hole a little bit deeper, and it feels like that's where we're going here. Was it fulfilling to see her character come back? I was happy to see her. I think the New York setting works. There's one good subway scene that really takes advantage of how, how subways feel. Uh, the ending is a bit of a cheat, but the build up to it is great. The dynamic here that you have, that kind of this film is about like the two sisters, right? You know, Jenna Ortega playing Tara Carpenter, the younger sister. She's the one who's like attacked in the very first scene of of Scream 5. And then Melissa Barrera playing her older sister. They're half sisters, right? Because Melissa Barrera, her dad was Skeet Ulrich. And so so she has like killer blood kind of running through her. Stupidest thing, yes. And that is an element of this movie that I really wish would explode more. And the movie, I think, is kind of scared to let it explode because Melissa Barrero, I really liked her in, in the Heights. I think she's been kind of weak in these movies. You know, she's a little bit bland. Like it's hard when you have scenes of her next to Jenna Ortega because they're both having to do the same kind of like half-assed written dialogue. Right. And Jenna Ortega makes it sound like, like just epic poetry coming out of her mouth and you believe every word she says. And like Melissa Barrero can't do the same thing. Um, you're just, it's almost like watching, a seminar and what makes one person a movie star and the other person not, you know, and it's brutal. Cause I again, love Barrera and in the Heights rooting for Barrera. Jenna Ortega just like walks the floor with her in this movie. Jenna Ortega having a moment here in a crazy way. Like you couldn't have predicted her moment. Like, I feel like this movie also is a success because of her from Wednesday. Like people, it's like, it's like no one thought that Wednesday was going to be a hit. So all of a sudden you have this, giant tv show that everyone watches is like oh my god my favorite tv stars in a movie flunk flock to this flunk. film you know there, right? there could be a, yeah. i mean it's so smart for them that they didn't kill her off and scream five but they I didn't know they Wednesday, didn't know but i really like her in x and if people are champions of jenna ortega there's this little indie movie that came out called the fallout it's where she plays like a high school girl dealing with the school shooting sounds really grim she makes it so full of life she's marvelous in it Highly recommend The Fallout. Cannot recommend The Fallout enough. She's so, 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 so good. And she's in that movie alongside Maddie Ziegler, of all people. Fantastic movie. Like, to me, that was the first thing I saw her in. And I was like, oh, holy shit, who is this actress? She's going to be big. And then she is suddenly and much bigger than I thought and much faster. Well, I just say also, and again, I have not seen it. So I'm I'm making some bold statements here. But uh, Tyler Gillette and Matt Bettini Open, who are the directors, they directed Scream 5 and they directed Scream 6. And they also did Ready or Not, which I really enjoyed. Um, their movies to me have, you're right, like high highs and low lows. Like, like I, I felt like Scream 5, I really enjoyed, but I really enjoyed the last half hour. Like I was like, oh, why didn't we get here before this? Like it felt like, 
what is the footing of this movie? Where are we going? And then it all of a sudden starts to ratchet up and you're like, oh, this is really good. I think it walks this interesting line of being like the Megan world. It's like, let's get back to these movies that are just kind of fun. And like, we can have some hits and misses in there, but I do like the energy behind this kind of horror. This is kind of like the horror that I kind of grew up with, which is just fun. I don't want to call it dumb because that's pejorative, but I want to say like, it's, it's popcorny horror, you know? And I, and I'm like, I'm okay. And I'm okay. If you have some misses, as long as you have some really solid hits. We're living in the world of the return of the bees. And I'm very excited about it. Bring back the bees. Bring back a swarm of bees. They make me happy. And I love this, Amy, that we have been able to see through a lot of these franchises lately and that we've been able to kind of talk about the capping off of these trilogies. We have John Wick 4, which is ending, you know, not on a uh, not on a trilogy. It's ending on a fourth, which I think is so rare. Um, but we'll be talking about John Wick. And according to everything I've seen so far, it seems like they also have nailed the the landing. And I feel like this is an interesting time where, you know, we used to live in a world where the third film, the eighth film, the ninth film, like they they are not, they are not, you know, Police Academy, Citizens on Patrol is not as good as what we started. Oh, wait, I really like Citizens on Patrol. I actually like Citizens on Patrol too. Okay. Uh, but go to Russia, <laughs> uh, go to Miami Beach, whatever it is. But it's like, but like we are in an interesting time where you have these, uh, filmmakers that can come in have an interesting voice. We're talking about Michael B. Jordan. We're talking about Ryan Coogler. We're talking about these directors of Scream. Um, and look, even Steven Soderbergh doing three films and it's not Ocean's Eleven is interesting to me. Like, I don't think he hit the mark, but I do think he tried to do something different. And it's not just a rehash. I think there's something to be excited about in that too. So yes, we're in the Return of the Bees, but we're also in the in a world of Puss in Boots, The Last Wish, which is like, hey, you never know. You never know. The third might be the best one. Justice for Puss in Boots. Justice for Puss and Boots. All right, Amy, uh, I love doing this little uh, check-in on our threequels with you. And uh, let's do it again soon sometime. Dive into the start of summer at Whole Foods Market. Check out their summer splash event with sales on fresh organic produce, organic strawberries, and a fan favorite sale on Ben & Jerry's and Talenti. Explore deals on grill-friendly meats like organic air-chilled chicken breast, beef and chicken kebabs, all with no antibiotics ever from our meat department. Plus, grab easy sides from prepared foods and cool off with refreshing drinks. Kick off your summer and shop in store or online at Whole Foods Market today. Whether you're making the same breakfast that you have every day or baking a cake for an extra special day, eggs are a staple in our diets. Eggland's best eggs are nutritionally superior to ordinary eggs, containing more vitamins and 25% less saturated fat. Not only are they better for you, but Eggland's best eggs taste better too. There's a reason that they're America's number one eggs. Visit egglandsbest.com for additional information and delicious recipes.